at Tri-Cities Church. If this is your first time with us, my name is Lamar. I'm the lead pastor here at Tri-Cities Church. And if this is your first, second, or third time, or maybe you've been here but you never filled out one of these cards, you've just been visiting, in front of you on your, in your seat is what's called a connection card. I'm going to ask you to grab that and fill it out. Uh, give us some information about yourself. Uh, and then also you can give us your prayer request on the back. Even if it's not your first time, you can also give us a prayer request because the elders and the staff and the prayer team, we pray over those every week. And so it's a great way to let us know how we can serve you through praying for you. And if this is your first time with us, go ahead and fill that out. And then on your way out, under the sign there where it says next steps, you receive a free gift just for, a, for us to show that we appreciate you joining us. We understand there are plenty awesome places to worship in this area. Uh, I say this every week. I'm partial. I think we're one of the best. And so we are glad that you chose to join us, and we just want to show how much we appreciate you. Now, if this is your first time with us or you haven't been here, over the last several weeks, we've been in a series called This Is Us. Uh, and it's sort of modeled after the TV show. I, I watch it. I'm not going to say to watch it or not watch it. The reason why we decided to name this series This Is Us is because when you watch that show, it's all sorts of ups and downs in the family. There are all sorts of ins and outs. There are all sorts of dynamics in this family. And even though they have their struggles, just like your family and my family, and even just like the church, they always find themselves centering back on a core set of values that make them family. And so for us, we've been talking about the six values of Tri-Cities Church has really been kind of a peek into what we believe, what do we value, and how do we try to organize ourselves as a church. And if you haven't been here, then you can see those six values on the banners behind me to my left and the right. Just try to tell you what Tri-Cities Church is all about, and that's what we've been talking about over the last several weeks. Now, I got to confess, uh, if you were here last week, I told you that I realized I need more time. And so this series was supposed to end today. But I don't think it's going to end next week either. And so we're just going to go until God says we're done, okay? Uh, so I figured maybe a couple more weeks. Because I said this to the team downstairs, this is so important for the future of our church that I can't rush it. That we got to understand where we stand as a church, what we believe, because our values are going to help shape the vision of this church as we move forward together as a unit. And so we can't really rush it. And so last week, if you weren't here, I'm going to encourage you to download our mobile app. If you have a smartphone, you can do that right now. I promise you the usher's not going to come with a white glove and take your phone. You can download that right now. Go to your app store, search Tri-City, search T-R-I-Cities. Download the mobile app. It's free. You can listen to all the messages. There's a Bible reading plan. You get updates and notifications about what's going on in the church. And it's also a great tool for you to give and to share with your friends and family and coworkers what's going on in your church. So I would encourage you, go back and listen to all the series, but especially last week because we started on our, our value of transformation. And so I want to just do a quick review because it's, it's really going to be part... 5B, and so this is week six, but we're on 5B uh, of this series. So I want to give a quick sort of synopsis, let you know where we're coming from as we talk about transformation. Let me read this. Uh, so if you have your Bibles, you can go to, click to, turn to, or it's on the screen if you don't have a Bible. We came from last week, Romans chapter 12, verses 1 through 3. So I want to read that to you. I'm reading from the New Living Translation, uh, but if your Bible just says Bible, you're cool. It's okay. 12... Verse 1, and so, dear brothers, I plead with you to give your bodies to God because of all he has done for you. Let them be a living and holy sacrifice 
the, fine, the kind he will find acceptable. This is truly the way to worship him. Verse 2, don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. Verse 3, because of the privilege and authority, and I said this last week, I hope you know that it's a privilege for me to be your pastor. As Paul's talking to the Christians in Rome, he says, this is a privilege. He says, because of the privilege and authority God has given me, I give each of you this warning, don't think you're better than you really are. But be honest in your evaluation of yourselves, measuring yourselves by the faith God has given you. Some of your translations might say, therefore, brothers and sisters, I beseech you. And so we talked about this last week. Whenever there's a therefore, you got to find out what is there for. And so remember, we talked about last week that Paul sort of gives some instructions. I'm um, just giving a little bit of context. He gives some instructions to the Christians in Rome because basically chapters 1 uh, through 10 and 11, all the way up to what I just read, he's giving instructions because there were Gentile Christians or those who were non-Jewish who started to, as my grandma used to say, smell themselves a little bit too much. Okay, some of y'all didn't feel that. He meant that you are, you're getting too big for your britches. Okay, so now you feel me. So he says, okay, Gentile Christians, don't get too big for your britches. And then uh, the Jewish Christians, they were kind of filling themselves and saying, you know what? Uh, we're the original ones. We were born through the line of Abraham. We're the original folks. And what Paul wants to do in chapters 1 through 11, he's basically saying this, nobody's better than anyone. We're all saved by grace. That's why you see in Romans where he gives us what was called the Roman road to salvation for if we confess with our mouth and believe. He's saying that basically we're all in the same plane. It's all level at the foot of the cross. You, Jews, you thought you were born in. That's why I got you in. And Gentiles, you thought you were special because God came to get you. Let's get it straight. All of us are here because we need Jesus. Therefore, he says, here's what I want you to do now that you know that we're all saved by grace. I want you to give your bodies as a living sacrifice. And then he goes on to say that uh, don't copy the behavior or customs of this world. But here's what I want you to do. I want you to be transformed by the renewing of your mind. So if you're here last week, I can't re-preach the sermon. But we talked about transformation starts with the way that we think, that we have to change the way that we think. And he says, I want to change you into a new person. God wants to make you new. He wants to do something new in your life. And so here are four things that we talked about last week that are sort of the elements of transformation that you find in just those three verses. Maybe some of you were here last week. You'll probably remember this. It's that transformation, number one, assumes change. We said that last week, that it assumes change. So if we're going to be transformed, you got to know that there's got to be some stuff that's going to be different about you, that you're going to have to behave different, and you're going to have to start thinking different, and that life is going to be different, that transformation assumes change. Here's something that I didn't say last week, because this is one of our biggest struggles with change. Here it goes. This is not even in my notes. Change always feels like an indictment of the past. You want to know why it's so hard for you to change? You're like, what is that thing in me that, that needs to change, but I don't want to do it? And when someone comes along on your job and they want to change the way things go, they want to upgrade things, they want to take it to the next level, you know why we struggle with change? Because anytime somebody tells you you need to change, it feels like an indictment on your past. What do you mean I need to change? I thought I was fine the way that I was. And remember we said that this is sort of our, our credo when it comes to this value of transformation, that God loves you just as you are, but he loves you too much to leave you the same. That it's okay not to be okay, 
But at some point, when you're following Jesus, something got to change. And so here, here we are. Look at me. At Tri-Cities Church, we accept everybody for who you are, where you are right now, but we're also going to challenge you and push you. You just consider me your spiritual CrossFit coach. I'm going to push you, and I'm going to stretch you, and I'm going to put some weight on you, and I'm going to make you read the scriptures, and we're going to challenge each other every Sunday morning because even though it's okay not to be okay, it's not okay to stay that way. Paul says that he wants to do something new. So the first thing is transformation assumes change. We said that last week. Number two, we says that transformation is a process. We said it last week that transformation is a process. It don't happen overnight that if this is your first day following Christ or your 10th year following Christ, it's still a process. None of us ever arrive at the place where we've got this Jesus thing down. It is a process. Remember we said this last week. That's why Jesus' first instructions to his followers are what? Follow me. You follow me and you keep following me. And I said this last week. And then one day you wake up and you realize, I don't remember the last time I cussed. <laughs> now, I said last week, some of y'all, that's not your testimony yet, but just keep following. <laughs> keep following. Keep following. It's cool. It's cool. Just keep following him. One day it's going to happen for you. We're praying for you. <laughs> Number three, we said that transformation is not just a process, but it needs a process. I didn't say this uh, last week. It was in my notes. Uh, for last week, so I'll say it now, that change doesn't happen by chance. It happens by choice. That transformation is a process, but it also needs a process. You know what I discovered in my own spiritual life? One of the reasons why I was struggling with change, because I had no process. What am I going to do? What am I going to read? How's my prayer life going to go? What am I going to do that's going to actually facilitate a process for transformation. So number three, we said last week, transformation needs a process. We'll talk more about that next week. And here's what I want to deal with today. Number four, transformation requires devotion. That if you're going to be a new person, it requires, watch this, some stick to And yes, that is a word. Look it up. Y'all looking at me like, Pastor just made up a word in church. It's a real word. It requires some devotion. It requires some stick to that when times get tough, I have decided that I'm going to stick with Jesus. No matter how bad it gets, the world's going to be up and down, in and out. Things are going to happen. And can I just tell you this? Jesus himself doesn't even try to bait and switch you. He says, in this world, you're going to have trouble. That following Jesus doesn't eliminate you from the problems of this world. But devotion is, I'm going to stick with him. I'm going to be with them to the day that I die. So you got those four things, right? Here's what I said also last week. Uh, we talked about this, that transformation uh, is the process. Watch this. Between closing the gap between my confession and my conduct. You remember that? That's what transformation is. If you don't remember anything else, remember that, that when I want to be transformed, when I want God to do something new, it is, come on now, all of us got this gap, don't we, where I say what I want to be, but sometimes it don't really line up with what I actually do. Come on now, y'all, this side over here, let me shoot down the middle because y'all looking at me like you don't know what I'm talking about. All of us got this gap, self-included, where what I say I want to be and what I actually do, come on now, and all of us who say we're on this journey of following Christ, we're on this journey of trying to close the gap between my confession and my conduct. That one day I want God to keep closing that gap, that what I say I want to be, come on now, we said this last week, that the public you is cool. 
You know what I'm talking about. The public you, that's the one that everybody thinks got it going on. The public you is the one that everybody thinks is praying all the time. The public you, but the public you is not the problem. It's the private you that's the problem. The public you has accomplished everything you wanted to accomplish. You, you got it going on. You got a good job. You're married, 2.5 children, white picket fence. You're driving good, eating good. The public you, everybody says, look at him. He goes to church every week. But the public you is not the problem. It's a private me. I'm trying to close the gap between what I profess and how I actually perform. You know what I'm talking about. There's this gap. And so transformation, Paul would say, is us continually allowing God to close this gap between my confession and my conduct. So Paul says this. You remember this uh, last week? This is sort of where we left off because we dealt with the fact that a transformation last week. Here's what we dealt with, that it assumes change. So by now, I'm assuming that you know that there are some things about us as individuals and even us as a church that needs to change. We're always growing and evolving and pursuing Christ. So we said this last week. I hope you got it, that this thing assumes that you're willing, willing and ready to change. You hear me say this all the time. I don't believe anybody gets up on one of their off days. Some of you, this is your only off day all week and you get up and you shower. I don't believe nobody did all that to come to church because you want to do worse. Now, I believe you're here because there's something on the inside of you that says there's got to be more than life than this, than just punching a clock from nine to five to just going through the same trial over and over. I'm at the stage of my life now where, God, I'm ready to deal with some new devils. I'm tired of dealing with the same temptations and the same devil. Give me something new to struggle with. I shouldn't be struggling with the stuff I struggled with 10 years ago. If I'm going to have to have some trouble, at least let it be new trouble. And can we just say to some of us, we go through the same thing over and over and over again. But Paul says this. Here's what I love. He says this. Remember in verse number three, he says, this is kind of where we left off last week. He says, because of the privilege and the authority God has given me, I give each of you this warning. Okay, so remember I said last week, I'm going to say some tough stuff. Paul says, I'm going to give you a warning because I'm getting ready to shine on my bowling ball and ball down your lane. He says, I'm going to drive up your driveway, sit on your porch, drink all your Kool-Aid, and read your mail. <laughs> Let me give you this warning. Here's what I want you to do. He says, don't think you are better than you really are. Be honest in your evaluation of yourselves, measuring yourselves by the faith that God has given us. Remember we said this last week. He says, I want you to be honest in your evaluation, not of what your neighbor is doing, but what can I do better? Uh, a few years ago, some of y'all know this, uh, I used to be a, a hospice chaplain several years ago, maybe about four years. Uh, at the same time, I pastored a church that we started in Dallas, Georgia. And so I had the privilege of serving a lot of families who their family members uh, were, had life-limiting illnesses. And so my job was to come in and provide care for them. And, and one of the things I had to do when I first met the family is I had seven days to do what was called a spiritual care assessment. What are the resources that we can provide to you as a family that will help you get through this trying time? And I remember uh, I used to meet pastors all over the area so that if, if there was something that I couldn't provide, maybe I can uh, get one of my colleagues to help me out. Maybe some of the people that were on my service. I actually had a church. And so I remember I met an elderly gentleman whose wife had cancer and she was in the last stages. And I went to meet him. And one of the questions I asked him, um, do you have a church home? He used to ask all the people that question. Do you have a church home? Because if you have a church home, my job is to work with them, not work around them. I want to work with them. And he gave me the name of his pastor. He said, yeah, I go to uh, such and such Presbyterian church. And, and I knew the pastor there. We were good friends. I said, oh, you're a member uh, of John Martin's church. 
And the, the elderly man, he's probably about 88. He looked at me and says, young man, John Martin's a member of my church. Some of y'all just missed that. <laughs> Some of y'all just missed that. And, and what I heard was some wisdom in saying that uh, I'm a part of this thing, that he, I've been here before he got there. I, I started, thank you, Drake, I started from the bottom. Now I'm here. He said, he said that I, I belong to this church. And the church, can you, just, can you just catch what he said? That he was taking ownership of what he belonged to. That I didn't just get there because the pastor got there. I belong to this church. Why am I saying that? Because I don't think some of y'all, I think some of y'all missed it. Remember, Paul says, he says, be honest in your evaluation of yourself. So we stopped last week with, we need to evaluate ourselves. That evaluation is essential for transformation. But did you catch what Paul says? Because some of us, we evaluate ourselves incorrectly. He says, evaluate yourselves, watch this, measuring yourselves by the faith God has given us. Okay, some of y'all just missed that because you thought that, uh, no shade on Beyonce, but I kind of I got mad when she came with the song when she said, I woke up like this. Y'all remember that? Don't look at me like you don't know that song. Y'all looking at me like you don't listen. Looking at me like, how you know that song? How you know it? <laughs> what she did is she created a belief system where there's really no ownership in the work that it takes to get to where God is going. She said, I just woke up like this. I can't tell you how many times I've met Christians who just want to wake up like this. They don't want to take no ownership, that they want everything to be dropped in their lap. But did you catch what Paul said? He said that you belong to something that was already established before you got here. He said, measure yourself by the faith God has given you. That's good right there. Because that means that I belong to something that's bigger than me. That this thing didn't just start with me. That there are people, you heard me say this, who gave their lives so we can sit in a church on Sunday, June 30th in East Point, Georgia, because we belong to a faith that God has given us. Is there anybody glad that I didn't have to come up with this thing on my own, that I had to figure this thing out on my own, that I didn't have to figure out a way to get to God, that I didn't have to figure out a process by how I can be saved? He says, you want to measure yourself by what God has given us. God has already given us a faith. I belong to something that's bigger than me. Paul says it like this in other places in the New Testament, that we belong to the household of faith. Yeah, that's good because now I don't have to worry about coming up with all this stuff. Jesus is clear. He says, you want to get to God? Here's the way. Once you join this thing, you belong to something that I've established. That's why I love the church because I don't get to decide, even as your pastor, what the church should be. He says, you belong to something that was given to you. You want to evaluate yourself, evaluate yourself by the faith that God has already established and gifted to you. I love that because that means that Jesus already did all the work. He died on the cross so that we can be a part of his family, his, his body, his, his fellowship. The, the word says that we were adopted as sons and daughters and we get to belong to something, watch this, that has already proven to work. Okay, some of y'all missed that, because have you joined some stuff to, only to find out that it didn't work? Okay, let me just talk to my single people. Well, all the single ladies, all the single... Okay. <laughs> you ever got with somebody who was good in the beginning? I mean, he made you feel good. He took... And then, about six months in, you figure out, this ain't gonna work, baby. This is not for me. I should have never hooked up with this joker. Come on now, you know what I'm talking about. Paul says... 
Measure yourself by the faith that's already been given to you because it's proven to work. How do you know that? Because Jesus said this when he talked to Peter. He says, upon this rock. Okay, some of y'all not feeling me. He said, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. You know what that means? We win that when you join up with Christ, it doesn't matter what happens in your life. Come hell or high water, you have joined the winning team. Okay, can we have church? for just 30 seconds to say thank you God for letting me join the winning team that I've lost some stuff over my life but I'm thankful that when I got Jesus in my life I joined the winning team he says this stuff works that's why I have to encourage people that don't ever give up your faith and your hope in Christ I know it's tough but can I just tell you this stuff works He says all things work together for the good of those who love God and who are called according to his purpose. Don't you dare give up. If you're going to measure yourself by anything, measure yourself by the faith that God has given us because it works. We said this last week that the reason why we need a new us is because the old us wasn't so good at it, were we? Come on now. Some of y'all know what I'm talking about. If the old me was so good, I wouldn't need Jesus. He says, I want you to measure yourself by the faith that God has given you. Okay, so now i got to really deal with how we measure what matters most, particularly as we talk about the life of the church. And this is going to help you individually, but I'm going to shift from talking individually about transformation to really talking about what it looks like as a church, as a unit, as a body to be transformed. So I want to jump into Ephesians chapter 4. Am I doing okay? Y'all still with me? Yeah. Ephesians chapter 4, I want to read you verses 11 through 13. Here's here's what Paul says. He says, now these are the gifts Christ gave to the church, the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, and the pastors and teachers. Their responsibility is to equip God's people to do his work. Watch this. Here's what I love about being a pastor. And build up the church, the body of Christ. This will continue until we all come to such unity in our faith and knowledge of God's son that we will be mature in the Lord. He's talking about measurement again, measuring up to the full and complete standard of Christ. In other words, Paul is saying that now as we're talking about becoming a church and talking about being transformed, there's some stuff that we got to learn how to measure. He says we got to we got to learn how to be mature. He says we got to learn how to operate in unity, and we got to learn, watch this, that there are some standards. There's some things that we live by. There's some values. We've been talking about it as a church. Those are our, sort of our standards. Those are our, that, that's what shapes the culture here. That's, that's what we live by. We, we live by the word. We live by the core values. He says that here we are. We are now measuring what matters most. Here's the first thing that I want you to know that we got to measure. Are you growing? You catch what he said? Maturity. That's why I got to every once in a while when I do a sermon, I got to just bowl down your lane. I got to I got to push us a little bit so that we can get better. So so we can grow. Here's the question. When you leave here on Sunday, do you feel like there's some places where I can get better? See, see, we got to we got to we got to get to a place as a church where we stop preaching cotton candy sermons just to make you feel good. Paul says you want to measure something. Are we maturing? Are we getting better? Is there something that happened in a song or something that my kids learned or something that was preached that pushes me towards maturity? 
He talks about also unity. Then he talks about measuring up to the full. See, Paul is pushing the church to his full potential. If you go back, because you know me, I got to give you context. If you go back and read Ephesians chapter 1 through chapter 3, verse 19, Paul is telling the church essentially that God has finally revealed his mysterious plan. That we've been trying to do this thing, and Paul now has got a little bit of time under his belt. He's suffered some, through some things, and he says, now God has revealed that there's a plan. That's why this is good, because in the next couple of weeks, we're going to talk about, as a church, what's our plan to grow? What's our plan to reach the community? What's our plan to see more people come to Christ? What's our plan to see people get baptized? Because can I just tell you this? A lot of times in church, people think just because it's for God, it ain't got to be good. Okay, I'm going to just let that marinate for a second. Come on now, you grew up in a church like that where, it, and you can ask, like, what was the plan? What was our plan for reaching the community? What was our plan for discipling people? What was our plan for helping people to get into service? What was our plan? I don't know. We just come to church, and they sing, and they preach. Paul says, but there's some standards that we got to measure up to. There's got to be a plan. So he tells them in Ephesians chapter 1 all the way through chapter 319, God has finally revealed his mysterious plan. You know what he says? It was to break down the wall so he can create a new unified people. Break down the wall between races. Break down the wall between genders. Break down the walls that break us apart. He says that here's what God did. Through Christ's death, he breaks down the walls and he created a new people group called the church. And his plan was to use us to change the world. Okay, y'all catch that? That... Now we got to be transformed because our job is to help be a part of the transformation process. That's why we got to learn and we got to grow and we got to get better and we got to push because God is. Do you ever notice that when Jesus says, uh, I'm going to build my church, he didn't leave no plan B? Y'all didn't catch that, did you? Jesus put all his eggs in one proverbial basket. He says, here's my plan for changing the world. It's y'all. And if we don't do it, the government ain't going to do it. Hollywood sure as heck ain't going to do it. Come on now. He says, I'm giving the keys to the kingdom to the church. You know what keys symbolize? Access. If anybody's going to get access to the life-transforming gospel of Jesus Christ, Jesus put all his eggs in one basket. If anybody in our neighborhood is going to meet Jesus, it's going to be because of us. He said it's the church. So he tells them that God has revealed his plan. And then he does something in chapter 3 because i got to back up. Because you don't really understand all this until you read the whole thing. So let me just back up to chapter 3, verse 20 and 21. Chapter 3, verse 20 and 21. Now, this is, remember I said, chapter 1. Through 319, he's telling the church, here's a plan. Here's how God's going to bring transformation. Then he says, verse 20, Now, all glory to God, who is able through his mighty power at work within us to accomplish infinitely more than we might ask or think. Glory to him. Watch where the glory is. In the church. And in Christ Jesus through all generations forever and ever. There's a story uh, of one of our kids. I may have told this story before here. I don't remember if I did tell it. Just laugh like it's the first time I told it. 
So several years ago, <clears throat> um, this is before we had Miles, um, you know, we had our two children, Malachi is our oldest. Uh, by the way, tell him happy birthday. His birthday was yesterday. He turned 14, so you see him, tell him happy birthday. Uh, but, but, but our middle child, Chiefy, was at the age at this time, I, he might have been about five, uh, well, he started losing teeth. And so he would sit down with his mom. You know, she kind of, she's better at this than I am. She has these traditions and things. She would sit down with him, and he would write a letter to the tooth fairy talking about how much money he wanted. Okay? I mean, it's a common thing. We all do that, right? And so he sat down. I, I can't lie. My wife is right there. I'm not making this up. He wrote, Dear Tooth Fairy, I would like, watch this, When I grew up, you used to get a quarter if you were lucky, and that was for a molar. Here's what I love, though. He he said, because he only had one brother at the time, older brother, 20 was for him, and 20 was for his brother. Oh, I knew he was going to say that. I knew he was going to say that. You're still only getting a quarter. Here's what I learned, though. I learned a valuable lesson from him. He says, how dare you devalue, watch this, what God put in me. My tooth is worth more than a quarter. Okay, some of y'all just missed that because Paul just said, Watch this. You just missed it. You missed it. Let me read it again. Now, all glory to God who is able through his mighty power at work. Watch this. Within us. Can I just encourage somebody this morning because somebody came in feeling down. Somebody made you feel some kind of way. But can I just tell you, John says this in 1 John chapter 4, verse 4. Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. Don't you dare allow anybody to devalue what God placed on the inside of you. You want to know why the church is valuable? Because Paul says that it is God working within us. Just bump your neighbor and say, there's something on the inside of you. See, my job as a pastor is to help you to figure out what's inside of you, what's inside this church, so we can do better and reach more people. Paul says the church is important because there's something in us. Don't you ever forget that God lives in you. Don't you let anybody ever talk down to you and make you feel less than. I know what they told you on the job, but Paul says there's a power that's working within us. It's not your power, but he says it's in you that is working within us as the church. And the reason why we're going to be able to do all the crazy stuff I'm going to tell you we're going to do over the next couple of weeks is not because of Lamar. It's because... There's something within us that the church needs to give to the world. He says, the glory of God is working within us to accomplish infinitely more than what we could think or ask. Okay, two things you just got to know, because I'm, I'm just going to tell you over the next couple of weeks, uh, I'm going to tell you about some crazy stuff that we want to do. A lot of us thought it was crazy when we said, let's go to two services for Easter. That's crazy. But 330 people showed up. Can I just tell you what we always got to remember? Because there's something in us. Number one, God's power is in the church. And he says that God's glory is also seen in the church. I consider myself an apologist for the local church. I know the church got all kinds of issues. The church ain't perfect because none of us are perfect. But there's something that happens when we assemble. I'm old school. Anybody here remember Voltron? 
when all the, come on now, 40 and over, come on now. When them parts ascend, they were okay by themselves, but when they assembled together, you know what I'm talking about, they became a force against the powers of injustice and darkness. There is something within us. That's why Paul says one of our measuring things is we got to stick together. If we're going to do this thing, we got to stick together. So Paul tells us that God's power is in the church and God's glory is in the church. And then he also says, don't you ever forget this, that God is ready to do more than we might ask and think. I had a friend in high school, skinny little thing, state champion high jumper. And every time he used to go up against the high jump, I would think he ain't going to make that. And he would, he would make his approach and then get over it just by a couple of inches. And I said, man, that's it. He topped out. And then they would raise it up and then he would clear it. And he would, okay, some of y'all missing the image that Paul is creating here. He says that God can do more than you can think or imagine. Here's what I want you to imagine for your church. Here's what I want you to imagine how God can transform you. Think bigger. Because Paul, in a strange way, is saying the measurement of what God will perform is equivalent to the measure of what you expect. I want a church that expects us to reach this community, that expects people to be saved, that expects people to come in every week, that expects us to transform East Point and College Park and Hayville. We got to raise our expectations because he can do exceedingly and abundantly above all you can think or imagine. My question is, what are you imagining? Come on now, we, we got to think bigger. We talked about chase the line. I'm almost done. Uh, so I want to take us back there because we talked about dreaming big. Remember this quote from Mark Batterson. He says, a God-sized dream will always be beyond your ability, beyond your resources. Unless God does it, it cannot be done. But that's how God gets the glory. If your dream doesn't scare you, it's too small. Okay, so now I'm just talking about the church. Individually, take what you need, eat the fish and spit out the bones, but now I'm talking about us as a church. Here's what I want to ask you. What are you dreaming for for Tri-Cities Church? You want to know what my job is? To get you to think bigger. That it's not just three songs, a sermon with four or five points, depending on how I'm feeling, five to six points. (laughs) I want us to think bigger. Remember what Paul says, you will be transformed, watch this, by the renewing of your mind. Here's a question I'm going to ask, why not us? Why can't we reach everybody? Why can't we reach our community? Why can't we feed more hungry people? Why can't we do something about injustice? Why can't we be the church that the poor would be willing to write a letter of recommendation for? Why can't, why not us? Paul says you're transformed when you start thinking different. And so I just want to ask you that again. What, what are you dreaming for? See, I love in Ephesians chapter four, because I keep going around, but I want you to catch all Paul is doing here because everything that he's writing about in Ephesians actually refers specifically to what he says in Romans. Listen to what he says in chapter Four, I'm going to read this quickly and then I'll get you out of here because I know it's hot. Verse verse one, chapter four. Therefore, I, a prisoner of serving for the Lord, beg you, watch this, to lead a life worthy of your calling. For you have been called by God. He says it's time to step up. 
Let's do it big. Let's think big. Let's live a life worthy of what God has called us to. Then he says, always be humble and and gentle. Be patient with each other. Make an allowance for each other's faults because of your love. Make every effort to keep yourselves, here it goes again, united in the spirit by binding yourselves together with peace. For there is one body and one spirit, just as you have been called to one glorious hope for the future. There is one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God, and one Father of all who is over all, in all, and living through all. However, he has given each one of us a special gift through the generosity of Christ. That is why the scriptures say, watch, watch this, because this right here refers specifically to what we read in Romans 12, 3. When he ascended to the heights, he led a crowd of captives and gave gifts to his people. Did you check out what he says? When he ascended. What are you talking about? Let's renew our mind. Let's think bigger. Let's take it up a notch. Is there anybody here on the sound of my voice? that just wants to take it to the next level. The next level in your faith. The next level in reaching this community. The next level in turning this world upside down. He says, when he ascended, crowds followed. Jesus said it like this. If I be lifted up, I'll draw all men, women, and children to me. When we lift up his name, When we ascend in our thinking, when we allow him to transform our hearts, we become transformational agents. And when we step it up, he says, good stuff starts to happen. So I love when Paul gets right back to Romans chapter 12, verse 1 through 3. I already read it. Here's what I want to leave you with. That faith, not feelings or facts, is our measuring tape. Don't forget what he says. He says, Measure yourselves by the faith that God has given you. Here's, here's what I'm going to challenge us with individually, where you want to grow, things that God is calling you to do even as a church. Don't allow what it looks like to stop you from following God's call. Don't allow what is called the last words of a dying church. You know what those last words are, right? We never did it that way before. But, but, but Paul says, you, you belong to something that is bigger than you. And, and when we understand that we allow that we belong to something that's bigger than us, then the measuring tape isn't what we can pull off. Y'all, y'all missed it. The measuring tape is how big is the God we serve? See, so most of y'all, y'all still getting to know me, but Jamie knows this. I am one of these um, annoyingly optimistic people. Like there's still a part of my faith life that I have this childlike naivety that it's hard to explain to me why something can't happen. You know why? Because I serve a God who can do exceedingly and abundantly above all that I can even think or ask. In other words, think of the biggest thing that you think God can do, and that ain't even big enough. I believe that God is big enough and bad enough to do everything he said in this book. And what I'm challenging us to do as a church is to believe that that same God that performed miracles in this book, that same God that saved thousands of people will transform us and use us to be a transformation agent because we start 
thinking bigger. Here's what I want to leave you with. Because I told you it's all about devotion. Remember what Paul says, and we'll pick up on this next week. He says, uh, present your bodies. Because when we get ready to go there, and we're going to go there, it's going to require, require devotion. You know why Paul said present uh, your bodies? Let me just take you to seminary real quick. Because uh, in those days, there was a doctrine called docetism. It was uh, D-O-C-E-T-I-S-M. Uh, and basically it was their whole group of people that were going around who were saying they were Christians, but they didn't believe that Jesus was actually a physical person. They said, well, we believe in Jesus. He was a, he was a spirit or apparition. They didn't believe in his physical body. And what that led to was people deciding that because Jesus wasn't an actual physical person, he was just a spirit and none of the stuff that happened to him actually hurt. He didn't really die. He was just a spirit. Because all of that they believe was true, then they decided that uh, God really only wants my soul and I can do what I want with my body. Some of you just missed that. Come on now, you know that temptation. Well, well I can do what I want because God just wants my soul. Okay, let me give you uh, the 2019 version of all that. God knows my heart. Woo! <laughs> right? I can do what I want with my body because God just wants my... And, and, what, and what, what Paul is saying is, no, 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 no. Jesus was a real person. Here's a problem. Because, and John talks about this in 1 John uh, chapter 4, when he talks about greater is he that is in you, he talks about this because what ended up happening, if you pull that thread long enough, that don't work. Because if you only believe in God halfway, watch this, you're only going to be committed halfway. And the problem was that people were halfway committed, halfway devoted to this Jesus thing. That's why Paul says, no, 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 no. God wants all of you. Present your body. That's devotion. Everything that you have, give it to God if you want this to work for you, if you want God to transform you, if you want to be part of a transforming agent, he says, present your body. That's why I love in Acts chapter 2, verse 42, it says, and I'm done, all the believers were devoted. You want to know what the secret sauce is? How did Christianity make it out of the first century? Because y'all know they were killing Christians. Throwing them in lions, boiling them in oil, stoning them, hanging them. Uh, Peter was crucified upside down. So how do you even know who Jesus is? Have you ever thought about that? In East Point, Georgia, thousands of miles away from where all that stuff happened, thousands of years from the time that it actually happened, how do you even know who Jesus is? You want to know what the secret sauce was? Through all the ups and downs of the church, Luke wrote this in his, in his book, his second volume. Luke was his first volume, Acts was his second. He says, after traveling around with the church, I saw the ups and the downs. I saw how they had to deal with racism, just like you. I saw how they deal with sexism, just like you. I saw how they had to deal with issues of poverty, just like you. You want to know why the church made it? Verse 42, all the believers were devoted. If we're going to do this thing, if God's going to transform you, you can't do it halfway. If we're going to be the church that God has called us to be, the church that I see, people say, why did you go to Tri-City Church? Because I see something in it. If we're going to be everything that God called us to be, we can't do it halfway. That's why Paul says, give them everything. Present your body. He don't just want your soul. He want all of you. And when you do something impossible for God, God will do something incredible through you. Let's pray. God, we thank you for this opportunity.